Welcome back to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. Our special guest today is Dr. Axel Morenschlager, who heads the Calgary Zoo's Conservation Research Center. It is doing life-changing work with its global outreach initiatives, with one of the most inspiring projects being the success of the Shea Nuts Cooperative in West Africa. We use shea nuts in all kinds of products that we have. I mean, shea butter that you might get at the body shop or other places like that, even our shampoos. It's, it's not in everything, really. Um, and it grows wild there. And several years ago, the Calgary Zoo brought three of the chiefs of the sanctuary to, uh, to Calgary. And they brought in their pocket some shea nuts, which they probably weren't supposed to do, but nevertheless, they, they brought in the nuts and they showed them and they said, these grow wild in our place. Help us use these to make something that is economically beneficial for ourselves. Um, here at the zoo, we took that very seriously. Our CEO, Clement Lothier, also became very engaged in trying to make that happen. And it seems a bit ridiculous from a few nuts in your hand to try and make some a whole industry. But actually, that is what has happened. And I believe in one aspect of the story, over 1,400 women, that number has grown just tremendously to be involved in, in, in something that has literally changed their lives and the lives of their children and grandchildren. That's right. It's, it's so powerful because we're not asking the people to do anything different. They've harvested shea nuts uh, traditionally all the time. They, they make products. Um, be a, I've seen them make cooking oils. I've seen them um, pounding them. I've seen them make sort of butter equivalents. Um, and they grow wild, and there's plenty of them. So we're using something that they're already doing, and we're finding an economic way of bringing it to market, basically. And what that has done is we've gone from zero women doing such things in a commercial way to 1400 now and that means not just women but families and that means families where you know children are able to go to school because they have enough resources where um where you know the, the husband is supported too and when i say this in that way i'm referring to the fact that there's actually a fundamental change that's happening in the way that the economics work. Uh, traditionally in this place, the man is the main income earner, primarily through farming. Mm -hmm. But we've made an industry where the woman actually can contribute. And it also gives her a lot of uh, say, if you will. Because, um, because here's a place where there's actually four different tribes speaking four different languages, uh, believing in different religions, traditional, Islamic, and Christian, but in almost all roles, the the woman and the girls are minor compared to the man in standing. By engaging the woman to be a significant income earner, her standing and that of her daughters increases too. And we're not trying to change a society. That's that's a dangerous thing to do, but we are empowering. Uh, we are empowering women in a way that's never been done before in this place and in a way that the man also recognizes and appreciates. 
Axel, the, the cooperative, of course, is an ongoing story. So maybe you can update us on some of the, the developments, current developments. Right. So the successes to date have been staggering, and we want to make them better. And the way that we want to make them better is that currently the nuts are exported from this sanctuary. And we're making a facility now that actually allows processing of the nuts on site. What that means is there's going to be higher uh, revenue per family or per woman. Um, and that we can also have more people integrated into the, into the concept over time. So we're looking at ramping from... 1,500 or 1,400 women to 4,500 women over time. And this is also crucial because it'll allow some sorts of revenue to surrounding communities, those are, that are outside the sanctuary. One of the things we've worried about is because this has been so successful is that there'd be incredible immigration of people on the outside who are jealous of the, of the things that are happening on the inside. So um, what we're doing is we're accommodating not only the interests now of the people inside, but outside as well. And so that creates more revenue, as I say, per person, more people, and also for conservation. Because actually 5% of the premiums from the share goes into a conservation fund that the community itself rules over that can only be applied for conservation initiatives. You see, again, there's this synergy between benefits for people and benefits for nature. As we're talking about these real-life successes, it must be a great feeling for you to know that the model is working. Yeah, it's very powerful, and it's, um, it's relatively new. This, the, uh, traditionally, what's happened, even, in, even 10, 15 years ago, is that the international development agenda that governments would have when they give foreign aid would conflict with the conservation agenda of major NGOs, such as uh, Conservation International, World Wildlife Fund. And so this is a coming together of those two. It's saying what this does not need to be competitive. In fact, if it is competitive, chances are both sides will fail. Um, we need to bring them together into a, a model, a concept that can, can work. And this is, this is that kind of model. And not only is it unique because of its blend of conservation and international development, but also the way that it's applied. As opposed to just sending money somewhere and hoping that it does something and walking away in two or three years, the approach here is one that is patient, that's persistent, and that's respectful, and that integrates the cultural values of communities into things that are sustainable and meaningful. Can you describe some of the uh, reaction from the international community that you would find uh, meaningful? Yeah, it's interesting. We, of course, are busy on the ground um, all the time, just making things work. But when we step back, it's almost shocking how successful this is or how it's been acknowledged as such. Uh, this program won a United Nations Equator Prize in, in 2008. Incredibly competitive prize. I'm, I'm on the selection committee now. But there are about 1,500 applicants per year, um, organizations all around the world. Um, that's one major success. Just two weeks ago, I was invited to, uh, to present this uh, project as a contender for another major award out of Europe. Um, 
I was in Korea two years ago um, at a United Nations Environment Program forum where this um, project was being showcased and, and was commenting to the world community there about how this could be applied, not just in West Africa, not just in Africa, but in fact how the general concepts are applicable anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world, anywhere where there's a conservation need and a human need, which is virtually all around the globe. Yeah, And so... Doesn't it make it just a, a great story of, of uh, creating a legacy of positive influence in the world? It, it does. It leaves a positive influence in so many ways. Um, on the outside, we leave sustainable populations of species. We leave ecosystems that are intact, and we help people. But when I think about the people themselves, I have in my mind pictures of people that I've met when going to the Wichau Community Hippo Sanctuary, of, of mothers who are grateful for what we've done, of children that you know will benefit. Um, I've, I've sat with, uh, I, I'm thinking of one child called George. I remember sitting with him under solar light because he was able to study at night in a way that he could not have done before because there's no electricity. So he was able to study and learn and that kind of education is fundamental not just to this one boy, but indeed to the whole community. Um, and not just to boys, but in this culture, to girls as well, because girls are often taken out of school. So when we resolve that economic need or help it, the girls can also go to school and grow up and become leaders of their community as well. And I would uh, imagine as you look at your own personal legacy, this will be such an important uh, element of what you're really trying to achieve and create. Yeah, it's um, in terms of a personal legacy, of course it's a shared one again, because it's not all about me, but it does make me feel very good. Um, in my life, really, I think fundamentally, I just want to make a difference. I, I want to leave this world slightly better than if I hadn't been in it. And that's in many ways, I suppose, as a, as a husband, as a father. But also in terms of my profession, if, uh, if I can have some small part in helping species, helping people in a way where I know we've, we've left something behind that is precious, that otherwise might not have been there, and that is there for generations to come. Our sincere thanks to Dr. Axel Mornschlager for guesting with us on The Strong Room today. We welcome you to visit our website at macmillanestate.com. This is The Strong Room.